0: I kind of um, was hoping that that Neil Young would be somebody who uh, would be for um, workers' rights. Um, so it's it's very disappointing that that he hasn't brought up that up as at all.
1: Welcome to the Illusion of More podcast. I'm David Newhoff. While Spotify's controversy over the Joe Rogan podcast was trending two weeks ago. I'm sure I was not alone in thinking that it was a frustrating moment for many songwriters. Because for a long time, contemporary songwriters have been hoping that legacy artists like Neil Young and others would use that same power to advocate fixing what is still broken about the streaming market. For years, songwriters have tried to explain that thanks to a rate system designed in the early days of radio, they tend to earn just a few dollars for a million streams of a song. And still, nothing changes. Joining me today to talk about some of these issues is Helian Linval, who has been a songwriter for more than 20 years, as well as a columnist for The Guardian and other outlets, writing about the music industry and artists' rights. So Helian, thank you for joining me on the Illusion of More podcast. It's great to have you here. For listeners, I'd like to ask you to summarize your background as a songwriter um, and also as a, an artist rights advocate.
0: Um, so I'm... Uh from Sweden originally. I grew up and I'm born and raised in Sweden. Um, worked as a musician from a pretty young age. I started out as a backup singer uh, on tours and, on, and a jingle singer when I was in my teens. And then I moved to New York, hence my accent, um, for six years. Uh, I lived in, in New York working as an artist. Um, i would never even considered songwriting uh, in itself as a career until i moved to london after new york and, and was offered a publishing deal by um universal no actually yeah i was offered from universal and uh, they flew me to sweden um because it was U- universal scandinavia and i i uh, met with their songwriters and producers and then i met with um other publishers and i ended up uh signing to bmg scandinavia uh, which then, as um, I experienced uh, in the music industry, you get traded your your um, your uh, copyrights and your songs uh, get get traded. So I ended up on Universal in the end anyway because they bought you know uh, BMG Publishing. So I've worked as a professional songwriter for um, the past twenty years, and um, when piracy really hit, um, you know. Which was relatively early in, in in my career, so to speak. So I, I experienced like the height at the the beginning of the century, and then it all kind of turned to mush um, within less than a decade. And so then I started writing um, a column for the Guardian uh, called um, Behind the Music, that was about what it what it's like to be a musician. Um, in particular, at that that time, and and in the digital age, where, um, you know what it feels like to to have your music stolen. Um, how uh, there's actually two copyrights to a song, which most people, including the people working at the Guardian at the time, uh, uh, weren't that au fait with. Um, so I had to explain. How, how that worked. Um, and so I kind of saw it as my duty to to kind of bridge the gap between our industry and and just a regular ponder. And um, I did that and and experienced uh, online bullying for the first time and my first online threat like death threat as well. Um so all fun and games and uh, then uh, I also joined the Irish Academy, which was called BASCA back then, the British Academy of Songwriters and Composers, and um, ended up, uh, you know, as a board director um, for for um, BASCA and uh, have championed songwriters' rights in, in that capacity as well.
1: Not that cyberbullying is what we're talking about today, but uh, I'm both dismayed and not at all surprised that that was your. Uh, first encounter with that experience uh, of course you've uh, you tick off all the boxes right you're a woman speaking your mind on the internet which is already uh, a crime to many and then of course you're uh, criticizing the f- the freedom the free model for uh, music and entertainment which is uh, a great way to get harassed
0: and considering that I'm blonde as well so then I get the dumb blonde kind of thing as well uh, you don't know what you're talking about you don't understand the internet the, like musicians understand the internet probably that you know we tend to be at the forefront of, of any new digital and technical innovation because that's how we work um so yeah and it, it felt quite I mean and I know it's not you know uh, what we're we're going to talk about today but it is something that kind of pops up uh, time and again I think and and it is like having a, a an Invisible mob attacking you uh, is, is really disconcerting. Um, uh, I, I was, quote unquote, fortunate to not have you know attacks that that uh, involved how I should be violated in all sorts of ways, uh, apart from the from that I should be dead. Um, mm-hmm so i know there there are even worse things than that but i i think as creators that what what's interesting too is is a lot of artists uh, which kind of segues into to what we're going to talk about a lot of artists are worried about speaking out because they're worried about getting quote unquote cancelled and um or people not listening to their music or being attacked for um which happens all the time. Well, maybe people don't just don't like your music. Maybe that's why you're not making money. Um, but as a songwriter, the advantage that we do have is that nobody really knows that we exist. Um, nobody knows which songs we've written because when it comes to credits on on these um, DSPs, digital service providers, sites, and platforms, we're almost invisible there as well. So to to uh, boycott me would be very difficult because the the majority of my songs don't have the correct credits on them anyway, on when it comes to Spotify and the likes.
1: I guess that's a sort of a good news, bad news thing. Then, uh, on the one hand, as a songwriter, you want to be credited for your work, but then I suppose in a sense that anonymity, uh, makes you hard to boycott as you describe. Uh, but since we've talked about it, what, what time period are you describing there? Uh,
0: well, I, I, in particular, I wrote an article called uh, uh, The Cost of Free, that was about, actually, it, it was about hypocrisy amongst people saying that our new business model should be free, and how they went around charging extortionate amount of money to to um, uh, keep talking about, about that business model. So, um, and I named some people in that, um, which, yeah, I, I mean, it was all backed up. It was in the Guardians where everything gets fact-checked. Um, but obviously those people weren't that happy about um, you know, being exposed. But um, but I think that, so that that must have been around, I think it was around like, 2012 or something like 2011, 2012.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I asked about that because I thought it might be around that time because of course the, the rhetoric, um, in defense of the, of the free model, if you will, uh, really amped up concurrent with the fight over the SOPA PIPA bills, um, the anti-piracy bills in the U S and at that time, the self-righteous defense of the, uh, the free model uh was was it at, at fever pitch i think and um, and
0: it's interesting because now pretty much everyone have, have come around to to our way of thinking that actually free is not a business model that is sustainable Un, unless maybe your google and and data is your is your business model but um it, it doesn't work for people that work in the creative industry.
1: No, free does not work for labor. Uh, that should not actually be um, all that controversial. And yet it it still is, I guess. Um, but that's a good segue to uh, talking about why uh, I contacted you actually uh, to come on the show, Helian, is because uh, in the wake of the whole Spotify Dust up, uh, begun by Neil Young, pulling his music in response to the Joe Rogan podcast. Here's a famous singer songwriter who has enough power to make the news, certainly, and um, and potentially put Spotify in a in a in a spot, so to speak. Um, you know, it struck me as as maybe this is sort of an odd moment for folks like you who've been trying to call attention to Spotify's treatment of musicians, especially songwriters.
0: Well. We're kind of gotten used to it already. Um, the uh, nobody cared really about um, regulating the internet at all until it came to uh, bullying or, or 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 things that that had to do with with everyone being affected in in that way. So uh, people have not really looked upon musicians actually from the beginning of time or at least as long as I can remember, um, that we should have the same workers' rights as most other professions and and have some sort of uh, survivable. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying, first of all, I want to say that I'm not against streaming per se. I'm, you know, I'm, I use it. Um, it's a great way of, of um, accessing music. It's not the only way I access music, but it is, it is very convenient, and I'm under no illusion that it's gonna go away. Um, and also, I don't think that as a musician, I'm entitled to make a living, unless I uh, other people I, other people make money off of my my music, then I should be making money off of my music. And if my music is popular, and if enough people want to listen to my music, then I should get paid for that. And being a musician is a professional musician. It's in the name. It is a full time job. And uh, when it comes to writing a song and and I've always repeated it just because it could take 20 minutes to come up with a song and you often hear um, artists saying, oh, this came to me and uh, you know, in in half an hour or whatever. but i'll I'll quote um, uh, Benny Anderson from Abba with that, uh, uh, arguably a very um, accomplished songwriter. Um, he said that they every day, very sweetish, they went to the office, which was the studio, to write from nine to five um, and not always uh, did they come up with something. He uh, he compared it to going into the cave to to um, kill the dragon, and most times the dragon didn't show up. But when the dragon show showed up, you got to be there. So you keep on working. You keep on working until I guess it's like it's it's like how you come up with I, I call music the the medicine for the soul. You try all different ways. And then one day you kind of come up with, with something that actually works really well. So that, that's kind of a sideline. But but so for us, we people say, well, you enjoy writing music. So why should you get paid? There's all these different arguments. Um, so it didn't surprise me. Um, and I think what was encouraging was that there are there was an artist that dared to speak out and didn't give a crap if people wanted to say that he was over the hill or whatever that he actually could take his his work and go go elsewhere? What would be interesting would be if um, neil young uh, if if he didn't lose money for um for taking his music off of um, Spotify, if he actually just, you know, transferred his, his income because people had uh, would access his music from other services, um, then maybe that could encourage other artists to to uh, uh, have the same courage or, or dare to, to actually speak out or even take their music off of Spotify.
1: Well, that was part of the, the nature of the question I was getting at. I mean, I don't want this uh, this conversation to really be about Joe Rogan, uh, how controversial he is or isn't, isn't really material at the, uh, in, in this context anyway. And, you know, I, I had a conversation with somebody about, you know, somebody somebody asked me, you know, well, it would take a lot of artists to really make a dent um it, you know to really kind of scare Spotify if you will into action and i i theorize that maybe not quite so many as you think i mean if for example i am paying say 9 bucks a month to Spotify and i have the option of paying exactly the same price to iTunes um as a consumer uh, you know if Spotify only loses one or two artists that i listen to on a regular basis um then i I would make the switch. Why wouldn't I for the same price? So I think that one, one or two artists can make a huge difference. And, you know, if Neil Young and Joni Mitchell and Crosby, Stills and Nash can, can speak out uh, over one podcast um, with the story on that is probably pretty much over at this point. Um, Wow. It it would be great to see them speak out uh, on behalf of singer songwriters um, or songwriters in general.
0: I, I've been waiting for that in vain um, because I, I kind of um, was hoping that that Neil Young would be somebody who uh, would be for um, workers' rights. Um, so it's it's very disappointing that that he hasn't brought up that up as at all. At least if you look at India Ari, which is another artist that have spoken out um, this time about um, the racist content. And she did very neatly kind of um, also address the the uh, financial issue. Um, and she's more of a recent artist. So maybe, I, mean, I think to a certain extent, I'd imagine with, with somebody like um, Neil Young or Joni Mitchell um, that for, because of the economy of streaming, um, everything that they get from, from streaming is Almost like um extra cream because well, also Neil young has sold his rights, but um but um it's well th- this kind of goes over to record labels as well. why record labels tend to be happier than the music creators themselves and and definitely more than songwriters or and more current music creators is because because of um there being uh at least, 70 to 75, 80% catalog um, consumption on these streaming services and deep catalog uh, consumption. Then if you sold your your record back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, or even the early noughties, then um, what you're making is very likely to be extra money. Like for example, we know a lot of us, I listen to music that I bought that I bought in, I might even have bought it twice in, in two different, like in, in vinyl and then in CD, and then I'm streaming it. Um, and for record labels, apart from that they get, uh, usually those deals that they did with artists back in, the, in, in those decades are much more advantageous to the record label than they would be today. Um, and they, they might even, because of that, still be recouping those artists so it's pure profit um, that is coming in for them. So that with, for, for the bigger labels that have big catalogs, streaming is great. But for newer artists and, and music creators, um, it just doesn't add up.
1: Back in 2020, uh, you did this wonderful uh, show on the BBC about uh, streaming and songwriting. And, um, you know, I was struck by the fact that this is, of course, not just about money. Um, but that what we're really talking about is a data-driven process uh, that is, in fact, as you observed in that show, changing the nature of songwriting itself. Um, so I, I want to ask you about that, but also about how um, changing the process is also sort of intersects the, the demand or the pressure to make a living uh, in this market.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I talk to songwriters and artists all the time. Um, I mean, including myself, but but in particular, I, I don't take myself as like the, the begin and end all, but just all my um, songwriter friends and co-writer friends, uh, some of them either leaving the business or going into other fields. Um, you might've noticed that quite a lot of songwriters and artists go into composing musicals because that that is something, even though it, it's a, a lot of hard work, and God knows it's it's a difficult one to get get off the ground. It's it's a a way. Uh, it's once you do actually, once you are successful, you do actually get paid. The problem, obviously, with with uh, songwriting is it's so hit oriented right now. Um, having whereas, uh, you know, twenty years ago, you you could have had an album cut, and that could have sustained you while you were working towards singles and also it would then allow a bit more creativity on on, uh, when it comes to making albums and um with that because now when you make just to kind of clarify how little we make on average um because we worked that out uh, with um one song uh where my accountant Uh, Went and actually analyzed the whole year and and all the different services and how much so that we wouldn't compare apples and oranges. If I had written 100 percent of a song. And um, it was streamed a million times on different services. How much would it be so that we could actually really compare the different services and also see how many streams you would need to kind of make a living? and. if you've written 100% of a song on Spotify at that time, this was a couple of years ago, and, and mind you, the the rates tend to go down. So this was, uh, I think, about two three years two two years ago. Um, it was uh, about 490 pounds for a million streams. If I had 100%, and very few songs, I, w- I would say in the top 100, uh, you can count on one hand how many songs have been written by one person. in in general, the average in the top 50 in the UK, at least, and it might be similar in the US. um, It's about five songwriters um, per song. So
1: splitting about 500 bucks for a uh, million streams.
0: Exactly. And and then, of course, you take off the the publishing percentage and the administration from the PRO. So it'll be less than that. Um, And The reason there's more writers, which we also brought up in in this um, uh, BBC radio program was about um, a that labels tend to be more risk averse and and um, they also uh, so they and people take percentages for things that they might not actually have have done, you know, somebody might, an ENR might take a, a, a few percentages here and there. Um, or an artist that actually didn't write anything, um, and there might be samples because there's more and more litigation, which we've all, we've all um, noticed. Even if not even if it's not samples, it might be something that sounds a little bit similar within the song. So you might have to, to give some percentages away that uh, with that. So uh, to back to how much you make, you can imagine you know, for to make uh, minimum wage, how many millions of streams you would need and being a songwriter it costs money because you think you go and work with an artist you spend travel money you might have a child so you have to get a get a babysitter um, all of these different things so so to even break even you usually have to um, uh, have at least a few million streams so uh, to how that affects the songwriting uh, then. You can think about maybe you, you with an, a so-called album cut, you might have had maybe 300,000 streams, um, which I argue are a lot of streams. That those are a lot of people that would have spent money buying records once upon a time. Um, and you, so you, you got to make less less than than what you actually spent that day due to whatever cost you had so nobody wants it it doesn't it doesn't make sense to have an album cut so when when songwriters go into the studio they are so focused on getting a single um that it narrows down to the most common denominator so so uh it means that we tend to have uh songs that sound very similar to other songs um it means that You're not going to experiment as much. Um, And also, because you get paid the same if you have a 30 second song as if you have a five minute song, Um, you might have shorter songs, which is not always a bad thing. And also, you're going to, because you have to capture people in the first like 10 seconds, because people skip very quickly. Um, You have to, front load every song. So songs that that build up are, are usually not going to succeed. So it does affect so many different things. And on top of that, the one way that songwriters can still make money is in sync, which is um, for advertising or TV or film. So that is going to, then skew what kind of songs you, you write. You're most likely not going to have songs that are too controversial because um, the uh, that's not going to be used in in uh, advertising. A lot of the times, when I look at briefs, a lot of briefs are uplifting. That That's a very commonly used uh, word. But, you know, I kind of like songs that are not always uplifting too. So It'd be nice if if, um, we could have a broader, just a broader um, palette
1: It's interesting to hear you say that, you know, I I tend to think that diversity um, can be can be squelched in this market by the by the dynamics you describe. And I remember reading an article a few years ago um, that said that, you know, streaming is going to spell the death of the album um, and that we're going to return to the 45 model, the single, uh, you know, the single hit model. And and that's consistent with what you're what you're describing and, and what you talked about in that show. Um, but even then, and, and maybe this just makes me sound like an old fuddy duddy, but, uh, even in the, in the days of the sort of hit single, um, it seems to me that there was still more diversity of work, uh, than what appears to be, uh, being produced now. Um, I do, again, maybe this is just my age showing, but it does seem that there's a lot of homogeneity out there where I I can't really tell the distinction from, from one track to the next,
0: um i think that there there are there is different kinds of music and maybe but but those it's difficult for for those music creators to survive in the end um it's next to impossible for for the ones that have the kind of smaller core um fans and that's why when we started our our um fixed streaming campaign over here in the UK. There's no coincidence that that happened during the pandemic because um, artists, the artists that were kind of middle-class that were um, able to somehow paper over the cracks by touring were unable to tour and uh, for, uh, well, up to two years and still going on actually, to be perfectly honest. Um and, and in the UK we've got the added uh pleasure of Brexit. Um, but th- suddenly they they took a look at what they were making from um music consumption, which arguably is the engine of the whole music industry, um, and realized that it was impossible to sustain yourself that way. And this is something that um artists that get a bit older or even artists that might have families that might not be able to to travel um with a family or if they get older i mean we we've had uh, examples with with musicians that, that had to stop touring they were touring until they basically almost you know were uh died because it was the only way that they can could make a living um and i think that that's not um the kind of it's not conducive to variety in, in music if you have to paper over the cracks by by touring. Um, so again, I think there there's it needs to the reason uh I came up with the the uh the kind of the name of that campaign called Fix Streaming is because it needs to be fixed. The economy of it is not working. So, we're talking about Spotify, which is one of the worst um, when it comes to paying musician and under and valuing and devaluing our work. Um, but across the board when it comes to um, music creators and smaller and you know middle class, it sounds so weird middle class, but you know being able to the 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 music creators that are 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 not at the top of the food chain. Uh, for for them to be able to survive and and continue on, and I wanted to also add, if you think of uh, rap and hip hop and and grime and trap and and it's some of the cheapest music to make when when it because you don't need to have a band or or anything like that in general. Um, even though of course there's working hours put put in there. Um, but imagine if you're doing a record um, like Maria Schneider, who, who we both know, um, who has an orchestra. To recoup that, my goodness, that's that's a lot of strings. And and if you work in a, in a genre that is, not, the the same, uh, you know, the the big audiences like Adele has. Adele might be able to have an orchestra, but if you're in in jazz or or even classical music, um, then you're not going to be able to to have that.
1: Well, that goes back to what you were saying earlier about the sort of assumption that songwriting might only t- appear to the outsider to take just a few minutes, um, and therefore isn't all that valuable, um, which is its own myth. And then you factor in, uh, you know, other other arguments that um, you know, dig- digital tools make everything cheaper and easier to produce, which is. Half true at best, um, and often not true at all in certain media, um, and and you know more importantly though I always ask the question is 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 that the narrow, you know we're talking about such a narrow framework for say music in this case that that's what we want do we not want Maria Schneider to to make music with a whole orchestra, or for a next Beatles to go into a studio and start rattling everything under the sun that, that calls itself an instrument, um, do we really want to cut off that level of, of potential creativity uh, for ourselves as an audience?
0: And I would say that in general, songs and, and knowing how a lot of the songs, um, even if I look at somebody as, as uh, like Max Martin, who's... Um, Arguably, uh, the biggest songwriter, new new songwriter around. He works on songs for weeks and weeks e- each record to make sure that it, it's you know strong enough in every sense. So it, it actually even the the creative creative process. Even if you come up with the idea in half an hour, then you then you have to kind of edit it and and make it into the what it is in the end.
1: And my response to this has so often been, it doesn't matter or it shouldn't matter necessarily to the audience member uh, what it took the artist to make something. It might've taken them months and thousands and thousands of dollars. It might've taken an hour. It doesn't matter. You get to enjoy it for the same price. Exactly. No what, and you get to enjoy it for the rest of your life if that's how much it means to you. And, and isn't that a wonderful thing? I, you know, the, the, the artist's um, process is really between the artist and the work and herself. And it, it may or may not be relevant uh, to the, uh, to the listener's enjoyment of it.
0: Yeah. And it, and it should be understandable, even, in particular in the digital uh, age or, I guess overall, because actually, if you think of what even the developers at at Spotify get paid, from what I understand, what has been reported, um, I think they said something last time I saw something like an average of a, a hundred and sixty grand, or or something like that. Um, there is a value in developing an idea. Clearly, it's not. I think the we must have moved past the whole kind of physical um, argument as in as in that that um, because uh, it's not a CD that it actually doesn't um, cost anything to create. Surely that that must by now be written off as a complete myth.
1: Well, and it should be, but unfortunately, I think I think it remains the sort of cosmic background noise that still influences this this conversation.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's it's on purpose. And, and what's so hypocritical um, about, uh, is that the uh, companies like Google and YouTube and Spotify, who are who know exactly that they make they make money off of every single stream. Because of of um, data that they they gain and all the different and and ad, uh, ads that can be put against it and all the different ways that they 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 monetize, they know that there's actually a value in 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 that attention even.
1: You know, a couple of years ago, I, I wrote a response to a academic paper written by Chris Bragman and Cal Rostalia, um, and I can't go into all the details here, but uh, suffice to say, they uh, they had written an argument that um, data driven creation, which is a big part of what we're talking about here, as you discussed in the in the in that BBC show, you know, Spotify sends data back to producers and producers read that data and come to a conclusion that, okay, this is what people want, and therefore this is what we should give them. That's its own problem. But also what, what that paper was about was this idea that data-driven creation, uh, which is sort of a, a collaboration between audience and creator, actually changes the nature of copyright law. Now, I took any number of exceptions to this paper, but in a strange way, they're sort of almost right at least not in if not in principle then in in sort of something that's happening now because based on what you're describing um if that loop sort of produces a relative homogeneity from song to song and there's less and less creativity between from song to song then in fact the copyright protection on each one is in fact thinner and so i wouldn't be surprised if we see more and more litigation perhaps, because we'll, we'll have, you know, song A sounds a lot like song B. The answer being that, of course, it does. We're both working from the same set of data to produce what we're making.
0: And what's interesting when we're talking about data, because even if me as a songwriter, I, I, I don't necessarily sit and look at data of, of, um, or analyze data to, the, to that granular um, degree. The labels do, Every label I know, um, well, medium and, and major labels um, do get data feedback of how different um, songs perform, um, how long those songs are, all the different things. I mean, that the 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 point of uh, the skipping, the the how long you have before people skip, that was actually uh, brought up by a major label executive to a whole bunch of managers that they had called in to say, OK, this is what we want now. Understand that this is how people um, listen to music. We need to be have it all front loaded, um, because that's what they had seen on the data coming back. And, and in the end, um, as a songwriter, I get a lot of the time, I get briefs um, from labels um, of what they're looking for. And they can be very specific. And, and when it comes to losses, of course, it's like that. now it becomes a, a minefield if they've sent out um, a reference track, because if somebody comes back and, and says, oh, it sounds a lot like this other song, in particular after the, the whole Blurred Lines case, um, where it's actually not musically um, chord-wise the same, but the vibe of the song, it's the same. And, and I mean, the, 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 even George Clinton commented on that and said, you can't copyright a vibe, but I guess it turns out you can. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: or at least you can make a case for it, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, I, on that topic, you know, I, I guess one question I have is how frustrating do you find this as a songwriter, um, sort of, Getting these, I guess you know, data-driven uh, briefs or directions on how to write a song. It
0: it depends on if I'm just sitting writing for myself. It doesn't um, it it doesn't affect me. Um, it does get get frustrating when it comes to when you rely on it as, as a living, because because it it, it makes. It can easily zap your um your uh, passion and and kind of enthusiasm when when things get get too narrowed down in that sense um and it gets frustrating and and, and um worrying of course when you when you kind of realize how how difficult it is i mean that's why there there are so many songwriters speaking up now because and and these are songwriters that are have had major cuts like major songs out and then suddenly they realize that actually I'm not going to be able to to survive, even though I had that, that song.
1: It's just so backwards. Um, you know, I mean, you are familiar with the whole mantra that, Oh, you know, recorded music, forget about the value of it. And, uh, you know, you should just tour and
0: sell merchandise. That's a, that's an even more. It's like, <laughs> write, you want- of
1: course, sell merch, even better. Um, anything other than sell the song, but it's, you know, a few years ago I wrote a post about this, that a lot of people responded to, which is to remind ourselves that, you know, recorded music is how most of us enjoy music most of the time. Um, you know, I like anybody else. I've carried my the music I love with me wherever I go. You know, the the concerts aren't how I relate to music, um, and recorded is 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 the most valuable thing there is.
0: And, and and something that I also want to add because I was talking to a young artist um, the other day, and um, the pressure that it that is put on younger artists and the, the, the myth that they are, um, uh, but that is being peddled to them, that if they are get enough hits on TikTok, if they could just spend more time on TikTok or similar platforms, then everything, then they'll be successful. And the pressure on that is so, fears for these young artists that they need to produce all this visual content and and little snippets and and go on i mean it takes up a lot of time for them and and i try to kind of sometimes say you know just because you to, to actually make a living off of hits on tiktok i i don't even know how much you, you'd need for that and how would that affect your creative voice in the end. Because again, it's about then clickbait in essence. And and do we want um I mean could you imagine I mean some of the greatest Kate Bush. Uh, Kate Bush hasn't done anything visually since the seventies,
1: yeah, well, that's just part of that same narrative, right is all these alternative means of succeeding, if you will, that get in the way of the actual work itself um is is a shame and it and it it relates in a way i think to that to that quote um that you you mentioned in the in your show on the b b c you quoted martin mills um on the subject of giving the audience uh, what they think, what they want, uh, which is not the goal of art. (laughs) It is not the purpose of art to give people what they think they want. It is the purpose of art to surprise people with, um, with what they did not know they wanted uh, until, until they had it.
0: Yeah. Think of a lot of these, these, yeah, the sex pistols, David Bowie, um, and there, there are several several artists that that have come uh, more recently as well, um, but I, I think again that it's it's the artists that have kind of change the parameters of of um, music as, as we see it and genres that have created new genres. How would we get new genres if we if we um, only were given what we already know?
1: exactly exactly and and i want to be fair i mean i don't mean to to imply at all that there aren't very very talented artists working today i think there are some tremendous artists working today i guess the question is whether the market that we have is producing the level of variety among successful artists that we saw perhaps in the early eighties um when I would argue to a certain extent that that period of the album, if you will peaked coming out of the the singles hit into the into the uh into the era of a more experimental time
0: yeah, I would say seventies and eighties i guess
1: yes, um, I agree
0: and I'm not even like i mean i i was a a toddler in the seventies, but um you know i I'm still a huge fan of the seventies. Um so uh I mean I wasn't the toddler the whole of the 70s, but I yeah the, the, but but uh I there's I wish I was older in the 70s so I could have really enjoyed and actually seen the gigs um that were uh were around then and it was a very creative and I'm I'm a huge Bowie fan and you kind of you you just think of an artist like that who who was given time to uh, develop and and manage to kind of uh, before he even he basically took the sixties to to develop into the artist he became in in the early seventies. Um, and,
1: and Mark Bolin. And
0: Mark Bolin and they, yeah, there's a, there are many. And then I mean, I saw, saw a documentary about uh, New York in the in the seventies and the the different genres that were created in new york city back then including hip-hop and punk and and um disco um and so so i think we're kind of the the there's not i mean there there's interesting stuff being created today as well i think what is what is um different today is that there's such a high turnover and that that is i think also because of the Attention economy that this is, whereas which kind of brings us back to the whole thing. If if I you know had three hundred thousand streams, that's actually a lot of people. That what would that have translated into when it comes to record sales? Because I argue that if I if I look at my uh, physical record collection, there's very few records that I've listened to three hundred times, which is pretty much the equivalent. Of what I would need to listen to each song to be able to make what I would make off of a, a CD or or a, a vinyl record, but that was before my time. But um, so so the the uh, it, it's such a kind of attention economy um, uh, age we're living in at the moment that that it's even though the 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 charts tend to be very stagnant. At the moment which is because it the beast kind of feeds itself with that so you'll, you'll have ed sheeran and and adele um kind of sticking to being there for a long time because because of the how many times they're being streamed when it comes to the tears underneath that it's very short attention span so i could see with with my songs and my records that i've had out or, or written for other artists they usually they they might um the the first kind of few weeks, they they might they they get their peak um streaming. Um and then it kind of then comes the next new music Friday and the next new music Friday or or whatever um new song that they can um listen to. So so it's it's difficult to um to kind of sustain yourself in the way that that artist back in the seventies and eighties would do, then where you can kind of build it, where where you 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 can have a career that um, it you know, reaches global status in that way. Does that make sense? I know <laughs> <laughs> it's, so- a, it's easy to get lost in the whole, but but it's not, I think this is good because when you analyze it, and why is it that we don't have a, a David Bauer or a Bowie or a um a queen for example and um there are so many different things that that play into it um obviously the 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 lack of payment it plays a huge part but it but it's just the the way that the whatever money is in there is being distributed and I think that that's um that's a subject for another <laughs> podcast
1: and at the at the risk of being called nostalgic, um, because I'm a Bowie fan as well, and I don't I don't mean to suggest that you know there was this moment when those that's what artists were, and and um and that's and we've lost all that. I think, um, for example, there, you know, when I look at somebody like Billie Eilish, right? She's
0: great. Um,
1: I think of I I agree. I think she's brilliant. Um, I think of her as being, you know, arguably a Bowie to this current generation, particularly of young women. Um, And I don't know if you saw the documentary, but um, that portrait of her struck me. It was really remarkable in the sense that in so many ways, she's the antithesis of all that you and I grew up with that, the antithesis of the rock star, the antithesis of the glam rock, certainly, um, because she's so vulnerable and she makes you know, her own vulnerability is part of that story and it's part of her work as well. And I think that that's all, you know, of, of of as much artistic value as anything else. But I guess part of the question is whether the market that we have sustains a Billie Eilish and 10 other variations um, out there.
0: I th- I think that there's there's also the thing I like where she's still at, at a very early point in her career, so we can only look in hindsight, like will she be able to sustain her career um, for the next 10 years? Will, I mean, I, I would argue that even in, in 10, 20 years, people will will listen to some of her songs, but I think there, um, even with her, when it comes to her music, it's almost her personality, which, which is, you know, which you allude to, her personality and and the person she is is almost something that is even more relatable her Her records are are good, but even her her second album did not perform the way the first album performed and and she was trying to kind of push the boundaries a bit there so I think that there um, if we compare it to some of the the biggest artists from from back in those other decades. We, we can only see what, what happens with her musically. I think as, as, a, as a, a phenomenon and, and as a star, I think she will be referred to in, in the future. But how many of her records will be played, it, we'll have to see.
1: Well, it'll certainly be interesting to see how the music uh, endures um, in contrast to the fact that, that Billy herself, as a as a phenomenon, is going to change, um, for sure, and and may even. Um they even stop doing certain things that you know that that we're used to her doing uh today um and on that topic, you know I mean that's when it, it that sort of circles back to this idea of of songwriting as a job you know i mean ever since I first got involved in in advocating for artists' rights and copyrights, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've incur in, encountered that that argument that oh you know something like songwriting it's just a hobby you as you said in the beginning you you enjoy it, so you know. Get a real job and do this on the side.
0: I would say that uh, not just myself, but most of the people I know who work on the creative side uh, or music creators are the hardest working people that I know, because also it, it's you can't really turn off your, your work at any point. Um, you You work on weekends, you work at night, you work in the mornings, everything you have to juggle these days. you have to juggle probably more things than than uh, a lot of people had to back in the day because of all the different ways you have to kind of stay active on social media and and all these things to get or as uh, didn't uh, Daniel Aik says or actually, I think the uh, to kind of illustrate that, you know, Daniel said that um, he was, uh, we had to produce more and, and release more. That's how we were gonna sustain ourselves or, or survive in the future. That's what what he told all, all artists. And I was talking to um, an artist um, a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying that he felt like a milking cow, that, every morning <laughs> like, they they came to like a, you know and he was trying to produce milk and it, it's just like, exhausting and hence why we also have so many issues with mental health
1: interesting that he said that I um it reminds me I think a few years ago I said something similar um because I, I my view of the utilitarian view of copyright law is that Uh, When taken to its extreme, it it treats the artist like, you know, like an orange you're trying to squeeze more juice out of. And apropos hardworking people, um, I think we all know who, who it is that makes everyone else's job a little better. Uh, more tolerable, more fun uh, while they're doing it, which is uh, musicians and songwriters. Uh, You know, you guys are essential workers.
0: (laughs) Um,
1: But anyway, I want to thank you for for being on the show today.
0: My pleasure, my pleasure. I love everything you do, David. Well,
1: thank you, and and likewise. And I do hope that some of these artists, you know, folks like Neil Young or um, Johnny Mitchell or anyone else who wants to take an interest uh, um, and wield that power, uh, will do so on behalf of other musical artists such as yourself.
0: I think it would be really nice if I, I know that in the past Taylor Swift has spoken out and, and it had some effect, both like when she did it with Apple and and um, I think with Spotify as well. Um because she is aware of the hard work of the the invisible people that work on on records as well, so she specifically have, have talked about the uh, non performing songwriters, and it would be great if we would have more artists, current artists, um, having the courage um, to do that um, and kind of speak speak up, just so we can get a, a just a better ecosystem that can sustain more variety and, and, and sustain music creators that have success and, and are being listened to, that they actually can, can then see the fruits of their labor.
1: I want to thank Heli and Vall for joining me today. This has been episode 10 in the reboot of the Illusion of More podcast. Thank you for listening.